this morning we are starting this new sermon series. Did you hit record on OBS? Awesome. All right. We'll do that again. This morning, <laughs> this morning as we start a new uh, series, four weeks, we want to talk through our church's discipleship steps. What we mean by discipleship steps is this is our best articulation of what someone who is following Jesus is doing. Right? And we sort of figure that if you are engaged in these four different areas of life, you are probably on the right path to following Jesus together. And there's not linear, it's not like you do this one and then you could do the next one and then you do the next one because if we get into that sort of thinking, we get into lots of trouble, into thinking like, well, I have to get my life together or it has to get into a certain point before I can tell people about Jesus. And we recognize that actually... In all of our mess, and all of our brokenness, and all of our doubts, God continues to use us to serve others and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. It's not linear. It's, it's these sort of like, think of them as big circles of your life. And if you're living into these circles, then you're, you're doing well. And so the first one we want to talk about, which is just interesting, even hearing about Heather's Prayer requests for community. One of the things that we believe that those who are following Jesus are engaged in is creating community. This sermon today is called Craving Community. That we all crave community. It's interesting, when I think about community, one of the first things that comes to my mind is not necessarily the church, it's actually CrossFit. Um, it's a cult. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, I love the idea of CrossFit. I'm clearly not a CrossFitter. Uh, but I watch the CrossFit games, and I enjoy watching the strongest, fittest people in the world in compete against each other. And this summer, while we were on holidays, I went to a CrossFit gym with a cousin. And uh, I don't know if I should tell this. I've been like, do I tell this story in church or not? So his CrossFit gym was running a beer mile, it's called. So you chug a beer, you run a quarter mile. You chug a second beer, you run a quarter mile. You do this four times until you're, um, if you throw up, you run another quarter mile. And uh, I went to, to watch because it sounded hilarious. And um, so I went. And, and at the beginning of the event, the owner of the gym stands up and said, this is the epitome of what CrossFit is. It is horrible. It is stupid. And we do it together. <laughs> and so I'm watching them run. And there's this one lady who is far behind the rest, and she gets around to her last drink, and, and she's like, I don't think I'm going to make it. And the whole gym comes around, and they're like, go, go, right? And then she, she runs, and she throws up. And so she comes back around, she's got one more lap to go. And the entire gym comes up around and runs the lap with her. Letting her lead, they come around behind her and they just encourage her and support her and, and move her around the, the track as they finish. There's something about the hard task that pulls us together. There's something about a community with a goal that, that comes around and says, let's do this together, that, that speaks to, I think, what we are called to as a church. That we have a task in front of us that is difficult. That we need each other to come around us and, and support us and encourage us. I, I wonder if 
in this age of loneliness, even that as Heather talked about in Germany, but I think is true here as well. I wonder if part of the appeal to so, so many who are engaged in CrossFit today is that community. That if you're looking for a community of people to come around you and build you up, it, it, it's one of those places that people are finding it. It's that hard, common, demanding task that is in front of each of us. Craving community comes from the community of divine love that is God. God himself is a community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three in one. We are created from a community of divine love for a community of divine love. I was struck this week again by 2 Peter 1 verse 4 which says, And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us a great and precious promise. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. You see, there's something about the work of Jesus that actually allows us to partake in the divine nature, which is the community of love. We are invited to be part of this nature of God. And so wired deep within all of us is a craving for community because we were created to share in the community of love that is God. It is an invitation to know and experience the rich community of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But there's more to it as well, to community, than just God. So it's not, (laughs) this is going to sound blasphemous, it is not enough simply to be in community with God. The story of Genesis actually shows us this, that we also need each other. Genesis chapter 2, God is creating and he's making this beautiful garden for people and there's a river in verse 10 it tells us, And then verse 15, 2 verse 15 says, The Lord placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord warned him, You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat this fruit, you are sure to die. And then verse 18, so Adam, the human, uh, Adam isn't a name, it actually just means the human being. So the human being is in the garden, it's a perfect garden, it's a good garden. He's Uh, Adam has this relationship with God in the garden. And then verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the human to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the human to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. And so the Lord God caused the human to fall into a deep sleep. And while the human slept, the Lord took out one of the ribs and closed up the opening, and the Lord God made a woman from the rib. And he brought her to the man. And then verse 23, At last the man exclaimed, the problem is we love the story of the naming of the animals. We tell it to our kids all the time. We, you know, imagine the animals coming up and Adam looking at them and going, you know, dog and bird. Yeah, 
swallow and cats show up and we're like, where did that come from? God's like, I don't know, I didn't make that one. And right, like, those are the jokes we like to make. And, and, and so there's this, there's this fun kid story, but do you sense the loneliness in the passage? In a poem, Genesis 1 and 2, it continues on, and, and the co- common refrain, got, refrain of God is, it's good. He looked at what he had made and said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And now there's a human alone, and what does God say? It is not good. We are created with a craving for community. The first problem encountered in Genesis is that the human is alone. And so God's solution, I will make the perfect helper. I will make another one to come alongside and to work with it. The word helper is the Hebrew word azer. It means an equal helper or warrior. Uh, It's probably worth just saying again here that as woman is created in this story, she is created as the azer. The warrior, the strong helper, the, the perfect one. It's used 21 times in the Bible. It's used in two contexts only. It is either used to refer to God, who is the Azer, or it is used to refer to the warrior who is leading the charge, the point of a, the point of a V who, who defends all who follow. It is a military ser- term for a soldier. It's certainly not a subordinate role. It is certainly not, if anything, it is uh, above. <laughs> As God is above humans, so the Azar is above Adam. It's important that we remember this perfect helper created because humans are alone. But then we enter into very quickly the problem. There's another problem. The first problem is that the human is alone, so God creates a perfect helper to come alongside that humans would work in companionship, togetherness, to, to work to tame the garden, to bring beauty and court creation and order and all those things we talked about when we talked about work a while ago. Together they would do this and know God together. Very quickly, sin enters into the story. One of the devastating effects of sin is the way it begins to tear the community apart. And all of a sudden, where there was no hierarchy between man and woman, there was equal partnership, all of a sudden we see sin begin to pull apart that relationship and and we see as people begin to try to dominate over the other and say, no, I am more important. It is my race. It is my gender. It is my job. It is my role to be over you and I will dominate and I will control it. We begin to see sin as it begins to divide and wreck marriages and families and nations It begins to create in people a lack of compassion that we can look at someone else and see them and and, and judge them and not have compassion for the other people around us. It creates an othering. So there's me and there are others. And sin begins to do this. Sin begins to work inside all of our relationships and it actually begins to sometimes allow us to begin to idolize other people. We begin to find our worth or our value through them We begin to hope that someone else will provide for their security over us. We turn to them to give us salvation, security, hope, purpose. 
Sin enters into relationships in the way that it actually begins to destroy our own self-worth and our own value as belovedness. And we begin to think we're not worthy of community. We're not worthy of love. We're not worthy of having someone speak well or build us up to partner with us to work in our lives. And so sin wrecks this perfect helper relationship between humans. And it divides and it separates and it it seeks to push others down and raise some up. And that is the cycle told throughout the rest of the Hebrew Bible until Jesus comes as the solution to those issues. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read Ephesians 2, 11-19. One of the interesting things about the life and work of Jesus is the way it individually brings us to God and creates forgiveness of sins, but God's work also seeks to undo this work within the community. So Ephesians 2, verse 11, it says, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one body, into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commands and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by, by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to the Jews who are near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So the work of Jesus is to save individuals to the Father, but it is also to bring people back together. It is the undoing of the sin of Genesis 3, the way that sin wrecks the community. God, through Christ, and his death on the cross creates one new people. He brings us together. It's the church. Fascinating little insight into this. If you read verse 16, there is a shock. There is an a unexpected twist of reconciliation. Verse 16 says, Together as one body... Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death. So Bruxy Cavey points out, we often think that first as we are reconciled vertically to God, then God will bring us to reconcile with people around us. 
verse 16, the order is he actually brings people together and then brings these two different groups of people together to God. Reconciliation between opposing cultures, people, races come together and then are presented before God. We should not forget how important our relationships with each other are. 1 John 4, 7 said, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. It, it, the command of Jesus in the, in the New Testament is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. The New Testament drops the first half. Whenever that is repeated, it is just love your neighbor. Because as you love your neighbor, you will be loving God. The church is not God's afterthought. It is the place where we are to experience these restored relationships that reflect the Garden of Eden, the relationship in which we feel God's love and our craving for community is met. The church is meant to be the place where that is lived out. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. There's the good news of peace. We're invited into this. So then what does that mean for us? This is the question I've been asking, right? So a CrossFit gym, we got a real clear common goal. We're going to like lift weights. We're going to compete against each other. And we're going to encourage each other as we beat our personal best records. This is the moment of the sermon where, where part of my temptation is to like rally. Let's go. <laughs> this is what you need to do. You need to be at Zoom Connect on Tuesday. One of the questions I've been asking, though, this week is, 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 as Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and tired and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites us to come and take his yoke, not to take the yoke of religion, but to take the yoke of Jesus. And so the question I've been asking myself, especially in this COVID time when many of us are tired and many of us are exhausted and many of us are weary, is what does the yoke of Jesus look like in building community and not the yoke of religion? My temptation would be to give you a yoke of religion. Show up at small groups, call three people this week, <laughs> build a community, go, do it! <laughs> this is... What does the yoke of Jesus look like? What is the invitation of Christ? each of us how will you seek each other out how can you text someone pray for someone in the congregation set up a time for a coffee you see the church as we I think are beginning to understand is not what happens on Sunday between 10 and 11.30. The church is what you will do the rest of the time as well 
to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to call each other up and say, how are you doing with your personal best? <laughs> to reach out to others. If, if we're looking for the institution to create the community, it, it will always fail. You have to build the community. And we'll do as much as we can to help foster that and encourage that and, and to do those things, but it's up to you. But I don't want you to hear that in the religion way. It's not mandating. I just want to inspire you. We can be the community where the peace of God is known. We can be the community in which we find in each other the perfect helper to help us live and do the things that God has called us to do. We can be the community of faith that encourages and supports and, and tells the good news of Jesus and then invites them to come and experience the love of Jesus with each other. That's the invitation, that's the hope, that's, that's why the church exists. And so, friends, some of you are craving community. Can we be that for each other? When you need it, would you reach out? Come to us. Let us pass you on to somebody else so that we can connect you. We can... We can find things. And friends, there are a lot of people around us that are craving community. And so uh, we need to be open to new relationships. We need to be open to the Spirit's nudging to invite others to come and join. And, and to be open to welcoming those around us. And, and when you see new people here, going to them and talking to them and inviting them to get to know you better as well. Because that is the vision for the church. That's it. I want to believe in it. I want to believe that it is true. Amen. So, don't forget, Zoom Connect, Tuesday at 8 o'clock. <laughs>